0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
2: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: This is the John Fugelsang Podcast.
3: This is Sirius XM channel 127 welcome to progress after dark good evening to everybody out there on the west coast driving home in your vehicles hello to everybody else in the middle of the east coast welcome to tell me everything bringing good trouble to the right wing bubble i'm john Fugle saying here in manhattan new york city thea is producing us from brooklyn chris our executive producer is being executive and production like Down in South Carolina and for the next couple hours, we're going to be with you right here on Channel 127 at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Dr. Jason Nichols joins us. He is an award-winning full-time senior lecturer in the African-American Studies Department at the University of Maryland in College Park. You may have seen him or read him in The Guardian, Al Jazeera, Fox News, NBC News. He's all over Newsmax as well. We are always thrilled to get Dr. Nichols on our show. Jason, welcome back.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me.
3: You debate all kinds of uh, intelligent or educated or, or sentient or at least non-slobbering conservatives on Newsmax, and I always love going on uh, debating our conservative friends on TV. And I, I do everything I can do to try to get smart, informed conservatives to call this show. You get what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, doctor, thank you for joining us.
0: Oh, no, it's, it's great to be here. I, I will say one thing. The only thing that I would say is with the Steele dossier, Yes, I feel like the Steele dossier. My problem with the Steele dossier is that it was unverified information. Yes, and that's the problem with this FD ten twenty three that they're trying to pull out on Joe Biden. They keep saying there's this uh, document from the FBI that we you know that says all this stuff about Joe Biden in a bribery scheme and the Biden mm-hmm. crime family. And I'm like you can't put that out in the atmosphere particularly after you complained about the Steele dossier because it wasn't verified and yet you want to do the exact same thing to Joe Biden by putting out you know and it's one thing for the media to latch onto it. So I understand the argument that they make about Rachel Maddow was obsessed with with Russia or this one was but, talking about Russia that one was talking about but Russia. what
3: lies were told? What lies is my question. Go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean I I, I mean I, I I honestly John, a little bit of the Russia 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 did kind of get to me at a certain point. I was like, me all right. Too. Me,
3: I, me I too. Me too again. Again, I was telling my liberal friends all the time, I enjoy the Steele dossier as well, but I tell the liberals it's not proven and I tell the conservatives Republicans started it before Hillary inherited it. But go ahead.
0: Right, exactly. And and so that's the whole thing with like all this unverified information about uh, Joe Biden and, and supposedly phone calls and all that. I'm like, I've heard I've heard Donald Trump on audio or video committing crimes you know, over and over again. Or at least we know that it's verified, at least with this documents case, that he's on tape committing crimes. And if he's not committing a crime, he's at least you know, putting himself in position to be sued again for libel or, or slander or whatever it is. Yeah. So, Biden, if you have the tape, let's verify it first. Exactly and then right. I want to hear it. You know what I mean? Like, I want to know if my president did something corrupt. So, yeah, absolutely. Let, let hear it.
3: You know, but that's but- the difference, Jason, because I, I, again, I have a lot of problems with the Democratic Party. I've never been a Democrat. But they're not a cult. And as we've witnessed in the age of Me Too, Democrats can't wait to throw their own over the boat if they commit an infraction. Democrats, Al Franken didn't get an investigation into the allegations against him. Democrats will throw you
0: out right away. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, being consistent with some of what we do is important. But obviously you're dealing with people who, you know, their morals are in a completely different you know world um yeah. they're not thinking about this from from a moral standpoint they're not thinking about staying true to anything other than to donald trump
3: that's it that's it yeah it's it's a cult and it's a, it's too often a cult of obedience um let me ask you your thoughts on the indictment this week it, it's Every time I think I'm sick of this, it just gets interesting all over again. I think we're going to have to learn every bit of nuance about this document's case, just like we had to learn everything about extorting favors and lies from the Zelensky impeachment, just like we had to learn everything about what is a crime, is collusion a crime. I mean, we had to learn about about ivermectin because of this guy. So now let's do a deep dive. What did you think of uh, the very, very brief hearing this week?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, so in terms of this uh, indictment number one, I think it was a real big embarrassment for donald trump it 's funny how they 're trying to show this little birthday celebration that he had in at the Cuban restaurant and ignore the fact that they said fifty thousand people were going to show up in downtown Miami and you had maybe two hundred. Uh, I yeah. think it was an embarrassment again. He's always talking about how he's going to get these huge crowds. The one time he got a huge crowd, it was, you know, it was one of the darkest days in American history. Correct. But all these other times, going back to his uh, inauguration, people aren't coming out for him. Um, I think it was, you know, in, in some ways I do agree with the people who say it was a sad day, you know, for, for America. Sure. I think the Absolutely. United States of America has never had a president. Who's had to be indicted, and uh, you know?
3: Well, we, we've had a few who should have been. We've had we've had a few who should have been. Let's be let's be fair. But yeah, oh yeah, you're right. for
0: sure, for sure. I, I would say in, in my lifetime, there's my, at least my two, lifetime.
3: I can think you know, of three in my lifetime, and they're all from the same party. But yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in terms of some need to be in front of international courts.
3: Indeed, um, we're thinking of the same one.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I, I definitely uh, see that. But, it, but you know, again, we want to believe that America is exceptional. I mean, it's, it's not true. We're human beings like anywhere else has human beings. But we want to believe that our system is so good and that our people would not do anything against the law. And clearly that's not the case. We see that we have leadership and that that is susceptible to committing crimes. Um, Yeah. So I think hopefully future generations will look at this. I think there are certain things that we need to shore up in our laws. Unfortunately, with Republicans, they're never going to go along with that, you know, until, you know, a Democrat comes in and, you know, maybe then we can get some laws that protect us from leaders who may have another agenda. It's a really terrible time, I think with regard to that however i think it's great for accountability i love the fact that finally the wealthy and powerful are being held accountable like the rest of us are And, and so i'm i'm glad to see that he's going to have to go through a trial now do i think he's going to get convicted even though there's a mountain of evidence and we see that in this 44 page indictment that it is really detailed and that all of the people who defended Donald Trump from Bill Barr or Jonathan Turley have all come out and said that this indictment is damning that's right are you going to find 12 Americans in south florida yeah you I'm, I yeah I I'm doubtful you know they will they will you don't yeah, think so we'll see. i mean The feds do a good job with with cases, but they've never tried a case against someone who is not only was a former president of the United States and a present front runner in the GOP. But we're dealing with a man, as you said, who's created a cult. There is a cult around him. Yeah. Like we've never seen there's no political candidate or figure in history that I know of who's had a following that is as loyal as Donald Trump. And that literally ties their identity into it. Like they're like, I'm a Trump supporter. You know, they look at like I'm a Trump supporter, like I'm a, you know, I'm a black guy or, you know, or I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm Chinese American or, I'm you know, gay or lesbian. Like they literally think it's part of their identity, you know, as Trump supporters.
3: And, you know, and look at look at the year he's had in the last two months. Indicted in New York City, indicted in a federal case. The first president to to be uh, indicted by the U.S. government for crimes. A jury just found him liable for sexual assault, and now that woman gets to sue him again because he can't stop bad mouthing her. And we are about forty days away from the month of August when he might find himself facing a RICO charge in the state of Georgia. And that none yeah. of it. He's going to fundraise off of all of it it's amazing the witness
0: yeah I mean it's it's actually helping him in the in the Republican primary he's actually going up in the polls amongst Republicans because they hate the left so much that's and it. they hate their neighbors so much that's it and you know they create all these you know false narratives about the left and you know they make all these things about sexualizing children and all that and you know and, and they found ways to hate other Americans so much that's it that they've been able to build this this kind of insulated cult where Donald Trump to them is some sort of messianic figure and it's a really scary thing for for yeah. America this is this is how dictatorships start and again they're willing to tell bold-faced lies too I mean you know like you, you were saying about lying about you they're willing to tell bold-faced lies Yeah. Joe Biden indicted Donald Trump. No, a grand jury indicted Um, Donald Trump. No, no, no.
3: It's a sitting president is terrified of the number one candidate against him. And so we've we've come to the point of tyranny. Donald Trump really did pay this money for education fraud. He stole from vets. I mean, they don't care. It's beyond reason. It's beyond facts. It's blind obedience to a level that we've never seen in this country.
0: And I'll tell you right now, John, Donald Trump. For Joe Biden is the best matchup. I've said that over and over again. No, he's going like to get that people, old man.
3: Joe Biden could be ninety, and he's going to get reelected against that guy.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think you know a a, a Joe Biden Tim Scott matchup is a tough out. That's a tough matchup. I think. Mm, I think maybe. you know Tim Tim, I, Tim I, Scott I think,
3: not not that not that good not that good uh, a speaker. I don't think Tim Scott would be that great in debates. But I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I, I think the I think DeSantis and, and Christie would be more formidable, but go ahead.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I don't. Well, Christie's not going to go anywhere. And I, I really don't think DeSantis is the guy. I think DeSantis is, I think he's, Oof. he's lame. I think,
3: I think um, he's the guy for 2028. I think 2028 is already going to be Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis. I'm ready to go in a sleep pod and come out and see what that race is
0: like. Oh, so I'm going to disagree with you here, John. Here, Tell Here's me, what I'm talking about. right Tell now. Me. First of all, <laughs> I have not seen political talent. Since Obama two thousand eight. And I and I'm making this as a really bold statement. Okay, I'm everyone, not, take notes. Go ahead. Lay it out. Political talent since Obama two thousand eight in anyone other than Westmore. Westmore yeah. from Maryland has I think been Westmore is. Category.
3: I agree. I agree. He's yeah. he's in the, the top three.
0: I mean, Wes is the guy my dad wishes I was. <laughs> like,
3: <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Wesmore, like, Wesmore is the guy my dad wished Obama was.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that's true as well. Um, you know, and you can't you can't talk about his patriotism. The guy's squeaky clean. He's a Rhodes Scholar. You know, he's a writer. Yeah. He's a freaking paratrooper. That's you know, 82nd Airborne. Like the guy yeah. is legit every way you look at it. And he's a guy I bet knew he was going to be, you know, knew he was going to be in this presidential conversation since he was probably 16. <laughs> like he's probably, been yeah, thinking I think
3: you're him. right. Yeah. He's um, so focused. I'm sure he was that kid in high school and you wanted to hate him, but you couldn't, he was just such the real thing. Yeah. He's so authentic.
0: Yeah. And he, and he's a good guy. He's super, super smart uh really really articulate i would also say i think gretchen whitmer is is another person i I don't think think josh shapiro too yeah i I mean i think gavin Newsom is he should be the democrat the democratic party's attack dog you know what i mean like he's the guy that should go out and and have those conversations go on fox news go on hannity go on newsmax and and literally just you know sit there and scrap it out and the i Howard think dean spot yeah yeah that would be a great role for him i think with if he were to run for president you know what they would show they would show skid row in la where you are all yeah. all day they would show san francisco and the homelessness issue in san francisco all day they would talk about things that and i'm not saying that these things are legitimate gripes You know, but I'm just saying that this is this would be the the line of attack, because number one, uh, I hear I'm on conservative media literally every day. You know what I mean? I know. Um, It's awesome. (laughs) And I can tell you, they talk about California and about San Francisco, and that's it's it's San Francisco and Chicago, depending on, you know, what day it is. So the gays I think and the would,
3: blacks, Jason, the gays and the blacks, you know, you, 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 you need some conservative white men in there running things or else the gays and the blacks. I mean, every time,
0: every time. Absolutely. So I think it would be tough for Gavin Newsom because I believe the conservative media ecosystem is stronger than ours. I've said that before. They've got the, right. They've got the Wall Street Journal. They've got they've got, you know, Fox News. Um, and you know, the left is trying to battle them with the daily beast. And I don't think that's a real, I I think that's, but I think that's the appeal of
3: Gavin Newsom doctor, because I do think that there's a lot of folks out there, Democrats, liberals, independents who, who want to see a fighter and they respect going high, but they see Gavin Newsom sitting there making Sean Hannity, like give him his milkshake. And I mean, they're really, really drawn to that kind of, scrappiness what did you think of uh i'm i'm, I'm with you on, on 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 the other possibilities but what did you think of that sit down with hannity
0: oh i thought it was great i thought it was great um hannity is somebody i've been on hannity's show uh yeah. i think once or twice i think once I, I don't think i was able to go back. i was like i'm not going back there like yeah. literally he doesn't let you get a word out and gavin Newsom- you know, it was frustrating to watch because they're talking at the same time. And that's something that totally frustrates me. Of course, I deal with that a lot as well. But Hannity, uh, because I don't think that he's necessarily, you know, he's not a Rhodes Scholar. And, and so he doesn't really oftentimes let you get uh, your point out. But Gavin Newsom was able to make important points that, uh, you know, other people who do interviews with Hannity aren't. Skilled enough to do. And I think that he did a really good job in that interview um, talking about the economy in California, uh, talking about, you know, Ron DeSantis and the fact that he was like, yo, I want to debate Ron DeSantis. Bring it on. Let's do it. Let's do three hours. I love that.
3: You know what I mean? I know. He said, I'll meet him, give me one day's notice, I'll be there for three hours with no notes. It's like, oh, this is what I think people want to hear. We're tired of Democrats being pinatas, just being this John Kerry punching bag that takes it over and over again. Yeah, I mean I mean, I, I mean conservatives fight and they have a fighting media. Democrats, they have a fighting media.
0: Right, exactly. I I mean, when you listen to how primetime cable news on the right talks about the left versus watching the left talk about the right. It's a totally yeah. different ball game. We, you know, the, it's very high ball with the with the with the left, you know, it's very, you know, and Trump is bad morally. And, you know, and they're sitting there, <laughs> you know, calling oh, all no. kinds of people, all kinds of names. I mean, it's mudslinging,
3: oh, it's dirty. I know. And and let me tell you, the C- the CNNs and the MSNBCs will book the political comedian and then they'll get scared that they booked a comedian because they don't want to run the risk of offending anyone. Right. Fox right. News loves the idea of liberals being offended. And the mainstream news uh, is terrified of the idea of conservatives being offended.
0: Right. No, absolutely. And and again, I think that it's, it's the and I've said this before, and I hope none of your listeners uh, are like, oh, this guy is super repetitive. But their grassroots media infrastructure is so much stronger. Like they have AM radio. They own AM radio. They own own Spanish language political radio. You know what I mean? But that's how it's always been, right? The status
3: quo is the status quo because they're more organized. And you're not going to find like a lot of terrestrial radio that's going to allow guys like Tom Hartman to come on and say, hey, the rich should be taxed more because (laughs) the people who own those stations don't want to, pay to have that kind of message put out so this is how the game gets rigged
0: yeah i mean it's a it's a real shame um somehow there's got to be a way to do this uh and and i mean you know even on the (laughs) internet yeah i would i would even say like the people that rule the internet are kind of this like strange horseshoe you know we've already talked about this the the you know the the people who i used to be fans of a lot of them you know if you're if you're talking about some of your comedian friends you know
3: oh Um, i know who you mean yeah (laughs) yeah
0: and and they they it's never like solid left you know on on, even in the youtube space you know so it's really time then you got the rumble space where it's like trumpy trump trumperson trump town yeah so again there really isn't and and there's there hasn't been a strong effort and, it, and whenever there is an effort of course they're going to say it's george soros is you know somehow behind i know it what all. you're
3: saying doctor but keep in mind they've lost seven of the last eight popular american votes in presidential elections so yeah they have more media but we have more souls
0: right right but they we can't have them win Congress because again, I it's know. not about popular votes. It's never about popular I votes. Know. Our oh, system no. is designed to avoid popular votes. Maybe, Correct. you know, at the state level, you know, popular votes come into play. But, you know, when it comes to choosing your president and choosing your House of Representatives, of course, it's small areas that are carved out. And we saw what happened in Florida where they gerrymandered the one black district in the entire state out That's of existence. Right saw alabama actually put up a fight to keep you know black districts from even developing and to divide them up so again you know i i hear you on we have bigger numbers there's there's no question about that and of course they're
3: the status quo they're always more organized you're right
0: Absolutely, and of course, we know for them land votes. You know, they get far more representation. You know, the state of New York gets the same amount of senators as the state of Wyoming, uh, and, and we could talk about the fairness of that. But either way, it, it's really the the type of situation where I think, I, and maybe because I'm so immersed in conservative media that I'm so inundated with it that I I think that it's stronger than it is. But I I think no, that they're strange. driving the narrative they're driving the narrative on this trans sports and you know all this stuff when that's not even most states don't even have a single trans high school athlete like states not just your local area but states and they've got people out there thinking that this is something that is everywhere it's a problem
3: i know but i just you know what i say at times like this i remind myself that sean hannity will never come close to getting one-third the ratings of a spongebob rerun because it's still a bubble at the end of the day, and you you know it. Um, but, yeah. doctor, I want to bring it back really quick to the to the documents case, though, because what what fascinates me on this, and I wanted to ask you about this before before we part our ways. But, you know, we don't know what was in these documents, right? We've heard Millie's plan to attack Iran that got waved around and and probably shared and shown to people, but we don't know. Um, and what's amazing to me is that even though we don't know about what documents were there. It's really become clear that that's not what this case is about. It's not about what the documents were. The case is about what a former president did after the U.S. government tried to get those documents back. That's the case, right? It has nothing to do with the
0: contents of the boxes. Absolutely. And and he had so many, so many opportunities to give those documents back. I mean, they did everything. They begged him to yeah. give the documents back. But he said, no, they're my documents. And the thing is, he keeps incriminating himself. He's like, yeah. no, I, I, don't, I didn't have to, they're mine. You know, I'm a busy guy. You know, I was gonna go through them. <laughs> like, and the thing is, the argument on the right isn't that he isn't guilty. It's look That's at right. Hillary. It's He's look at Biden. At, at mm-hmm. Biden they don't usually mention mike pence but you know mike pence i'm sure will come up you know once we start talking about and and kudos to mike pence i'll give him i've always thought he was kind of a spineless worm but he kind of came out and showed a little bit of chutzpah
3: a little bit but again that's that's it's not so much him being brave it's him climbing off the trump train you know that that was his way of doing it but i think he had i think he had the best line of the day when he said the charges are not defendable and I thought that was really interesting. I can't defend what is charged. And that's what we have to ask our right wing friends. If it's true what's charged in the indictment, can you defend that? Because no one's trying to do that.
0: Right. No, I mean, you you know, of course, they shouted, lock her up, that she should go to Gitmo. They said oh, yeah. all of these things about Hillary Clinton, which, again, it, it's... Depending on who you talk to, a lot of a lot of, if not all of those emails that she had were not classified. So like, but again, again. she she did what
3: Pence did. I'm sorry. Go ahead and search the premises. Well, how can I cooperate? How can I help? That's the difference. Biden, go ahead. Look at my house like they didn't obstruct. And the other difference is they weren't president. They were secretaries of state and vice presidents. It's not, I imagine, the same level of import with the documents. Um, Doctor, we got we got to hit a hard break. I want to get your final thought on all of this and give you the last word.
0: No, it's just interesting. I was on with uh, with TV tonight with Peter Navarro and um one of the interesting things he was like he's the president he has the and he's a really nice guy by the way um but he was like you know he's the president he was the president he had the ability to declassify and it's like come on but he didn't declassify like (laughs) they have his voice on tape
3: like you know what I say about that? If he's able to declassify it with his mind, let's call up Jimmy Carter or Barack Obama and ask them to reclassify it with their minds. Uh, you know, right. seeing that, that that's the Hogwarts magic. Jason, what's the best way for our listeners to follow you, sir, and keep up with your work?
0: Definitely follow me on all social media. Whether it's you know Twitter, I at least look at it every now and again. But um, you know, Twitter, back on Twitter, or- Doctor, we miss you. Uh you know it's uh, a it's, it's a weird space not at all right. no
3: peer pressure <laughs> I'm with you Jason it's yeah. a joy to see you thank you so much for joining us we got to hit a break we'll be right back and get to all your calls this is progress
0: So, listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever
2: you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. This is
3: SiriusXM. I'm John Fuglesang. This is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right wing bubble. We're going to finally get to get your calls now. Hey, Sean in Cali, what's up?
2: Hey, brother. So,. My thought here. So I read an article early this morning and said John Kelly said, you know, basically uh, Donald bin Laden's uh, shatting in his pants right now. And by the way, I think that's I think it's accurate. That would be exactly the way I see that uh, uh, Donald bin Laden as a human being. And he deserves it, by the way. I don't know about these legal terms,
3: but I'll go along with it. Go ahead.
2: Oh, you know, I'm on it, man. You know, we're going deep into statutes right now. But I'm telling <laughs> you that this is what, um, you know, really the American people in the world need to see. They need to see someone who is a criminal, you know, have to go up a- a- and fill all of this. Right. I'm against torture. Right. But but, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I'm not feeling sorry for the sucker. You know what I mean? Because he's a loser and a sucker. He's the real loser and sucker. So let's let's keep the pressure on people, because no matter what happens to this knucklehead traitor, um, we still have to win at the ballot box.
3: That's right. And it's much bigger than Trump. He is merely the hood ornament on the fascist clown car that is driving into the peaceful market. Sean, you're a gentleman. I have no idea why you listen to this show. Thank you so much. Uh, we have to hit a hard break. So if you've been waiting on hold, stay there. I promise we're going to answer your calls in the order we got them when we come back on Sirius XM after a quick break. Hey, all. Glenn Kirshner here. So, friends, I hope you'll join me on my audio podcast, Justice Matters. Do you care about ethics in government, criminal justice reform, a conflict-free federal judiciary? I thought so on justice matters we take on issues involving the need to reform our government and its institutions and we talk about real achievable reform i hope you'll join us look for justice matters wherever you usually get your podcasts Welcome back. I am so pleased to welcome another of our favorite guests back to the show. Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali is a thought leader. He's a strategist. He's a policymaker, an activist, and is committed, deeply committed to the fight for environmental justice and economic equity. He's an internationally renowned keynote speaker, trainer, leader, community liaison. Mustafa worked over 20 years. At the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, he began working on social justice issues at the age of 16 and joined the EPA as a student, becoming a founding member of the EPA's Office of Environmental Justice. He's conducted over a thousand presentations worldwide, speeches, guest lectures and trainings. He's worked with over 500 domestic and international communities to secure environmental health and economic justice. He's been a guest lecturer at Harvard and Yale. You've seen him on MSNBC, CNN and Vice, and somehow we still managed to get him back. What a great pleasure to Welcome, Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, back to Sirius XM.
1: Well, thank you for having me. You know, I'm a big fan of yours.
3: Well, thank you. I'm such a big fan. And I was thinking about you last week when I was in New York City and we suddenly had these um, Canadian wildfires that were affecting the quality of life of a major urban media center in a way that might actually lend to have some more media coverage of what we saw. And, you know, one of the things you've talked about so much is that the impacts of climate change are usually determined by a population's vulnerability And resilience. What was your take about how we responded and how the media responded just last week to this horrible environmental disaster?
1: You know, it was nice that the media placed a spotlight on, you know, this unfortunate uh, set of circumstances that were going on. But I was also thinking to myself, will they be there after the smoke is gone? Because the impacts will continue to be there after the smoke is gone. Um, And I also wondered, you know, when we tell the story Are we actually also going back to the root causes of how we got to this moment? So, you know, those 450 plus wildfires that were happening uh, in the Canadian forest um, is an important story just because of the the impacts there. But we often don't go back to why is our temperature warming up? Why are Mm we having these droughts? Why are fires now more intense and burning larger areas. And it goes back to our addiction to fossil fuels as one of the drivers of the climate crisis. Then we have to not just start at that part of the equation, but take a couple more steps, which is where are the majority of the facilities located that are playing a role in what's happening. And those are in black and brown and lower wealth white communities and on indigenous land. So if we truly want to address the climate crisis, we've got to address the roots of where these problems are coming from.
3: Well, I mean, that leads me to my next question. When we talk about who in our society is more vulnerable to heat waves, who's more vulnerable to extreme weather events or environmental degradation or you know labor market dislocations, how, doctor, do you define the term environmental racism? It, it's a term that scares all the right people, but how, how do you define what it means?
1: environmental racism is the places and the people where we place things that nobody else wants. Those coal-fired power plants, those uh, petrochemical facilities, where the landfills are, where our waste treatment facilities are located. They're located in lower wealth white communities, black and brown communities. And we know that race is a greater predictor, but I never wanna take out of the equation they also the socioeconomic aspect That's of it, it, which is our lower wealth white communities. And we saw what happened uh, in East Palestine, Ohio, and there are mm-hmm. other communities across our country are often dealing with it. And I'm looking for an opportunity around solidarity of how do we help all these different types of people who are dealing with these impacts that are making them sick, that are shortening their lives, that are extracting wealth from their communities, that we're all in this together. Dr. King once said that we come to these shores in different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. When you look at the sets of impacts that are happening from the climate crisis, from environmental injustice, from the economic justice issues that are going on, people will try and place wedges between communities and say, well, that's not really, you well- That's so true. Is my grandmother or my mother or my, uh, you know, pregnant aunt getting sick because of sets of exposures? If the answer is yes, then, you know, you're a part of what's actually happening in this space. So you asked the question about how do you define it? You know, it it is about, you know, unfortunately, everything being placed that nobody else wants, because, John, if That's you right. can I've worked actually I've worked in over a thousand communities now and I have yet to find a wealthy community that has a coal fire power plant in it or <laughs> a petrochemical <particular> disability. <laughs> Right. So, you know, if people say that these things are okay, then why don't we see them in upper middle income communities or why don't we see them in wealthy communities? Because they will not accept it because they are wise enough to understand that they do not want to get cancer or liver or kidney disease or lung disease or a number of other public health impacts that I could share. But we find that it's okay. for black and brown and indigenous and sometimes Asian and Pacific Islander and lower wealth white communities to carry that burden. And the answer now in the 21st century has to be no, we can find better ways of doing these things and we can remediate the impacts from the past and the present and make sure that we're moving forward toward the future. Our North Star has to be
3: focused on justice. Amen. I mean, as, as you well know, communities of color are disproportionately victimized by these environmental hazards. Communities of color are far more likely to live in areas with the heavy pollution. Uh, people of color are more likely to die of environmental causes. And more than half of the people who live close to hazardous waste are non-white people. So I think you're exactly right. We need to talk about how environmental racism goes hand in hand with environmental classism, because we need to get these lower income Caucasians As allies know very well, the whole history of capitalism in this country has been divide and conquer. They used racism to help break up unions. How can we reach out to low income white people who might consume conservative news that tells them climate change is a hoax and convince them that this struggle is also theirs?
1: Well, I think we have to one representation matters, so they have to be able to see others who look like them, who come from the similar sets of circumstances Uh, who have dealt with the impacts and who hopefully have been able to also find a pathway forward. The other part is, and you know, I work with some of the best scientists around the planet, is that we got to stop talking about parts per billion and parts per trillion. They're important in scientific conversations, but they mean nothing to Mrs. Ramirez or Mr. Johnson or Mr. O'Leary. So what I do is I help people to understand the facts, and then how those facts play out in everyday people's lives, because I come out of a union family. I come out Amen. of folks um, who had to worry about putting food on the table and keeping the lights on. So we've got this is not Mustafa Santiago Ali saying this. this is Harvard University, 350,000 people who are dying prematurely from air pollution every year in our country. One of the wealthiest countries in the world. More people are dying from air pollution than are dying from car crashes. More people are dying from air pollution than are dying from overdoses of drugs. More people are dying from air pollution than are dying from gun violence. And if I ask folks, raise your hand if you know someone who has had, uh, you know, who have had problems with those three yep. areas right there. Almost every person is going. And folks haven't raised their hand by then, then I ask the question, how many folks know somebody who has asthma? And we know that we've got 25 million folks, and that's the conservative number who have asthma in our country, seven million kids. And we understand that when temperatures go up, that is going to exacerbate that. When people have to deal with all these other factors that are happening from the climate crisis or because of poor housing or because of lack of access to healthcare, that it's going to have these greater impacts. And by the time I ask that question, every person in the room has raised their hand because they know somebody who has asthma, they have asthma, their kids, their grandkids. So you have to find a way to build these on-ramps for folks so that they can see the impacts that are happening, happening to them, to their families, and that there's a pathway forward. There are now resources to address the issues. We have to utilize the power that exists inside of our vote to actually get people in office who care about what's happening in our communities, who care about what's happening in our families. And those are some of the steps that we can do together to make real change happen. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican or an independent, if you're not willing to stand up for communities, then you don't deserve our vote.
3: So true, and it's so true.
1: that's the way that we get people to come together.
3: But what role then does the corporate media play in all this? Because everything you just said was so beautiful and astute, and you're not going to hear it said on TV news, which has got commercial breaks filled with ads from the fossil fuel industry. For the same reason we don't hear media talking about how decriminalizing weed could help people because that's going to hurt big pharma and they buy the ad time. We sure don't hear about unions and labor issues on those liberal media news channels. And we really don't hear about the Things like environmental justice. I mean, how much of an obstacle are we facing when the media culture, the number one tool we need as a species for our survival to get the message out, is often inherently compromised by a profit-driven structure?
1: You're exactly right. So, one, let me give you a shout out, folks at XM and all the other folks who are in the media space. Yeah, so do I that.
3: Yes. Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's real. You know, I, and I say it even when I when on, on your show, but I'm out speaking across the country, that it's incredibly important that we have the media to stand up and do the right things. When there is disinformation that is happening, it is the responsibility of the media to correct that and to bring forward the voices of those who have real world experiences, to be able to share the story, to share the information, to share the facts in a way that resonates with everyday people. How do I know that that's important? If you look at what used to happen in the South in relationship to civil rights, people used to use disinformation and say these egregious behaviors are not happening the way that folks are are sharing that they are. And once the cameras began to zoom in on folks being, you know, dealt with the, the, the dogs and the fire hoses and people being beaten for wanting to sit at a counter or get on a bus, then it began to change the dynamic because then folks could see for themselves what's going on fast forward to the 21st century to 2023 and hopefully beyond we have got to have media that is willing to tell the real story to tell it in a way that resonates with folks Um, And then I think you also have to create these opportunities for vast amount of people to get engaged with that, to make sure their voices are being honored and uplifted in the development of policy and also in our own sets of personal responsibilities and how we are doing something. Everyday people, instead of us highlighting politicians and billionaires when they do something that is even remotely right, we should be highlighting everyday people who are out there on the front lines you know after they done worked a double um still finding ways to give back and i think That's then right. we'll actually be able to move forward in a positive direction
3: we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back after this welcome back you know you're you're the person dr ali who taught me that what police brutality environmental pollution and the COVID-19 pandemic all have in common is systemic racism. And, and it's it's so true from from black families have to live surrounded by toxic air pollutants um, and, and an immediate threat whenever they leave their homes from the police. I mean, you can't disconnect all of these factors. There was a, a really disturbing study not too long ago conducted by Rice University and the University of Pittsburgh. And and I want to I want to let our listeners know about this because it was shocking. But the study found that white counties would see an increase in average wealth after natural disasters, while predominantly minority counties saw a wealth decrease, which is to say white families living in areas with about 10 billion in damages, saw a wealth increase of nearly one hundred twenty six thousand black families living in areas with about 10 billion dollars in damage, saw a wealth decrease of about $27,000. I, I, I know folks of color are on the front lines of this crisis. What are some of the most effective organizations and initiatives out there that our listeners should know about and support?
1: There are all kinds of amazing organizations. Let me give a shout out to all those environmental justice networks and community-based groups that are on the ground. There are thousands of them that are out there doing the work. The NAACP um, is doing amazing work right now in Jackson, Mississippi, as an example, Yes. trying to actually get people to do the right thing, to make sure that those pipes and uh, and other things have been changed out. But also to understand these long term health effects that those kids and others have been dealing with, you know, making it more difficult to learn because of their exposures uh, to lead and other pollutants that have been there in the water. You look at um, organizations like WEAC in New Jersey, or UPROSE in Brooklyn, uh, or the new uh, Southern Environmental Justice Network that Dr. Mildred McLean has just put together, or the Indigenous Environmental Network that Tom Goldtooth Um, And others have put together. There is a myriad. I would just ask folks to go out, Google environmental justice in the area that you live in or climate justice, um, and and you will find just amazing work that people have been doing for a long time, usually on shoestring budgets. Um, And now, thankfully, we finally have some resources that are out there to help people to exponentially grow the good.
3: I completely agree. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, doctor, when you look at this country's past. We can see that that the the establishment of slavery was a precursor to all of these discriminatory policies and these social and political and and, and economic inequalities. And I just I want to ask you to connect the dots for me one more time. How have these historical discriminatory practices in housing and education, employment, healthcare? How do we see them playing a role right now in the inequalities that contribute to greater vulnerability to climate impacts? It's all tied to the past
1: it most definitely is the ripples of historic policy actions continue to play out today. So you got to go back, you go back to policy actually allowed indigenous brothers and sisters to be stripped from their lands, taken away from their culture and their traditional foods. It was policy that also said that we had a right to go to Africa, <laughs> kidnap That's right. people, That's bring right. them to this country and have them work for hundreds of years for free um, and then break promises, both to Indigenous brothers and sisters and to African American uh, brothers and sisters around promises that were made, whether it was the treaties that were in place or forty acres and a mule, and so forth and so on. Um, and then you saw restrictive covenances and redlining uh, playing yes. a role from Jim Crowism, where you took people and pushed them into an area, then disinvested in that area, and then mm-hmm. when people had no- nothing else. Um, after you destroyed the businesses in that space, um, then you brought in these these toxic uh, industries to fill the space because. And let's you,
3: defund the public schools in those neighborhoods. While we're at it, please.
1: Exactly, exactly, and, and you know, and you, and you did all these other dynamics that when you built biases and discrimination into transportation policy and housing policy in the housing side of the equation to make sure that folks were never able to actually build wealth because we know that's one of the ways in our country that we're able to build wealth in our transportation to run more pollution in to certain communities, bring prosperity into others. And then on the education side of the equation, we know that when you lower home values, then some of those dollars no longer can make it to the educational system on the public side of the equation. Then you overlay it by bringing in like in places uh, you know, like in the Manchester community in Houston, Texas, or Mossville, where you have these huge amounts of petrochemical corporations putting out all these toxic chemicals right next to schools. So kids yeah. can't learn. So when they didn't have the dollars to be able to have all the tools that they needed, then you pump this stuff into their lungs. Then you ask That's the it. question, why can't they learn? And they're no longer competitive in this new global economy.
3: You know, I've been I've been reading a lot lately about um, maroon communities, which I was never taught about in school. But these were the communities that were created by self-emancipated slaves and, and nearby indigenous groups in inhospitable environments in America and the Caribbean. And the struggle gave rise to this environmental ethos where. The features of the local ecosystems were deeply entwined with the historical memory and the the spiritual life. The Maroons of Jamaica harnessed in their social order a, a really specific approach to environmental protection grounded in the ancestral connections to the land. And as much as we talk about how black communities are victimized by climate change, black communities are also all throughout our history having incredibly rich connections to the natural environment and and I mean, the Great Migration search for nature near urban spaces. What can the modern environmental justice movement learn from these past efforts?
1: We have to continue to incorporate traditional environmental knowledge, and that knowledge comes from those folks uh, who have been tied to the land. And I mean that in a very positive way, who have brought forward their their cultural learnings, if you will. In our country, an example would be the Gullah Geechee people uh, who are off the Georgia and Florida and South Carolina coast. um, And how, you know, after many of them who had had escaped from slavery, um, you know, went off into these smaller islands where they knew that they could be free to live. Um, And then, of course, throughout many of the islands, um, we find very similar sets of learnings, of thriving communities. People often hear me talk about moving from surviving to thriving. A part yes. of the thriving paradigm is actually understanding and honoring these traditional knowledge uh, that both black and brown and indigenous folks bring into the mix.
3: I love it. I mean, it's 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 very inspiring. And when you look at how much this was impacted by covid as well. It, it just it just all keeps linking. A couple of years back, you, you testified in front of the House of Representatives about the impact of COVID-19 on the environmental justice communities. And I'm curious if you could share, uh, obviously, how you think things evolved with the transition to a new White House. You, you were one of the most keen uh, uh, academics to point out the links between environmental racism and what was happening with COVID-19. I've come to believe that maybe the Maybe the greatest achievement of the Biden White House was their really well-organized effort to get vaccines into the arms of people in rural black communities throughout the South and Midwest. How do you think, looking back, we did? Was there a a tipping point when things really began to get better?
1: Well, I think it most definitely got better when we had a new administration, because before we had one that first tried to deny uh, that the covid pandemic was as significant and serious as it was and then they refused for the longest time to move forward on the steps that were necessary. I've been working on public health issues for decades upon decades. And, and you know, for those of us who worked in that space, we understood the, the, the seriousness of what we were dealing with. Then when the new administration, the Biden administration came in, they decided to actually take proactive steps to deal with both the current sets of impacts, to look at infrastructure and say, how do we get the infrastructure in place to keep people mm-hmm. protected, and to understand that there were communities that were already dealing with significant health burdens, pre, um, you know, these preconditions that they already had, diabetes, yes. COPD, heart disease, breathing difficulties, and that COVID um, was going to exacerbate those. And you saw lots of people who had those types of problems who unfortunately passed away. Now, I would say also in understanding the lessons learned, because the spotlight showed us that, in many instances, our medical infrastructure was lacking. It was lacking in mm-hmm. rural
3: communities.
1: It was lacking in urban centers that we needed to make more significant investments in that space, because this will not be the only pandemic that we ever were going to have to deal with. The yes. IPCC, the National Climate Assessment reports shared with us as the temperatures continue. Uh, to grow, that there are going to be new pathogens that folks are going to have to be able uh, to navigate. Um, So you also have to bring, John, into the conversation the significant investments that the Biden administration has made around environmental justice and climate justice. It's true. It's true. The bipartisan infrastructure and um, with the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, So not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But it gives us a fighting chance, both on new sets of pandemics, on the climate crisis and finally beginning the long journey of addressing environmental injustices that are happening in our country.
3: You know, there, there was a moment there where I thought New Zealand was showing us how to do it in the outbreak, because you remember about like two, three years ago with the with the economic downturn and the rising inequality and, and the environmental crisis getting worse, the New Zealand government began considering openly a Green New Deal because that would address all the issues, including coronavirus, at once. Do you think we'll ever get to that point where we can connect the dots enough that we can see a major political party trying this in post-pandemic America?
1: I sure hope so, because we have to have holistic strategies to actually build a stronger infrastructure underneath of our country and also help us to move forward in a way that we once again become a leader um, across the planet. And you know, people demonize the Green New Deal instead of actually taking a real look at what it was talking about. We allowed it to get politicized. That's really what it is. And in our country, if party A isn't the one who brought forward a good idea, then, you know, we start to play out all these dynamics. And then, of course, we got the fossil fuel industry. We've got these yeah. other folks who are making huge amounts of money who don't want to see change happen. Then you got the folks who want chaos. Because they know in chaos, people will throw their hands up and say, you know what, I'm not voting. I'm not getting engaged because none of this makes sense to me. But I'm hoping that there will be a party. Um, I'm hoping that it's not just a party. I'm hoping it is our country that says, you know what, the lessons of the 19th and the 20th century, we're going to take those to heart. We are actually going to create a stronger and better America and also also look across the planet and say, how can we be more helpful and uplifting everyone? That should be our ideal. And it shouldn't just be an ideal because we can actually do it. We can actually bring forward amazing projects representing all kinds of different people um, saying we were able to do it. Let us teach others how to do it um, so that everyone can thrive.
3: Before I let you go, doctor, it's it's so good to see you. You've inspired me so much. Thank you. Um, I want to ask, what is the the recognition of Juneteenth mean to you? And and what do you see it meaning to the racial environmental justice movement as a whole?
1: Well, Juneteenth, um, it, it, it helps us to have an understanding of how when information, um, accurate information doesn't make it to people, how very nefarious things can happen, because you remember that freedom was already on its way in lots of other places and folks there in Texas never got that message or the message they did get was disinformation. But it really is about the resilience of black people in this country, um, of about us celebrating in this moment um, where we have come from, but look at how incredibly um, magical, how incredibly astute, how incredibly innovative we have been, no matter what has been placed in our way, we have found a way to continue to move forward. And it also should be a lesson for America of the importance of the African American community. So, on the, it's almost like Dr. King's holiday. On this holiday, you can sit back and think for a while, but then get engaged. Reach yes. out, become a yes. part of the organizations of those Black organizations across our country who are trying their best to to raise up the black community, but also to strengthen America at the same time, because if you help black folks to be able to achieve the American dream, it helps to strengthen and solidify that dream for everyone. So it is a moment, not just a reflection, but it is a moment of action.
3: It is great to study history. It is greater to be a part of it. Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, it's always an honor to have you with us, sir. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work?
1: You can go to uh, MustafaSantiagoAli.com, just my full name.com. It'll take you to revitalization strategies. But I would ask you to follow all those amazing leaders and organizations that are out there that are doing the work on the front lines every day.
3: So good to see you, sir. Thank you for joining us. Hope to have you back again very soon.
1: Thank you. Be blessed.
3: Thank you.